Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're in the middle of a series in Ephesians chapter 1, going through uh, the entire Bible. That's how we do it here, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, we've been in Ephesians now for about five weeks, and we're going we're to be here for, uh, for several more weeks, and uh, probably a couple more months. And we today are in Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll jump right into it. I'm going to pick it up in context, verse 7, where we read, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, Having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. And if you want to circle that word purposed, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that word purposed, and nearby uh, you could write... um, before you set or place, or you might even write uh, pre-prepared or predetermined plan, um, because that's really uh, what that word means in the Greek. It, it, it means um, uh, before you set in place. It means that it's a prepared plan. It means it's something that God has, has already uh, put together. And again, that's the big idea of this section of text. It's the big idea of our message here, and it's the big idea of us going into 2014, the beginning of the year, that God has prepared a plan. You know, at the end of uh, 2000, uh, at the 73rd Academy Awards, uh, Julia Roberts was nominated for an Oscar. And at the time, she, she was named number one on Forbes' 100 Most Powerful Celebrities. Yet she'd never won an Oscar. And so she determined that this was the year that she was going uh, to, to, to win an Academy Award. Um, and she had a plan to, to, to achieve that goal. She had a plan. And, uh, and so she was very selective about the, the scripts that, that, she would, that she would receive and the scripts that she would do. As a matter of fact, she went through a two-year period uh, where she turned down every script. She didn't do any work for, for a couple of years. And, um, and so when she read the script for Aaron Brockovich and she saw that Steven Soderbergh was, was uh, directing the movie, man, she was sold on it. She said, this is the project I want to do. And, uh, and so she, uh, she took the role, and she uh, began to work and prepare. And in order to get the chemistry right, because the part called for her to be a single mom uh, of three kids and, and all, and, and so for her to prepare and get the part just right, uh, she, she got together with Aaron Eckhart, who was uh, her co-star in the movie, and, uh, and she got together with the kids. She wanted to develop a real relational bond with the kids so that, um, so that the, the, the part on screen would come through, the, the closeness, the close-knit relationship would come through. And so the first thing they did was they scheduled uh, a bowling trip. Well, my, my son Scotty was, was cast in the movie to be Julia's son. Um, and so they, the, you know, were there at the bowling alley and she walks up, hi, I'm Julia. You're like, no kidding. You know, so hi, how are you? So they're, they're the thing. Well, it happened to be Scotty's birthday on that particular day. And, uh, and so what Julia ends up doing is she has a birthday cake for my son. It's got the candles lit. She, on her knees, sings my son, happy birthday. He gets to blow the candles out on his birthday cake, held by Julia Roberts, who gets to do that. They bowl, and they're working. And, and, and so the, the whole idea there is that 
they're working to develop this genuine closeness. Man, Julia's got a plan. I am winning the Oscar this year. And, and the idea here is that, man, because Scotty is going to participate in her plan, well, it'll end up being a huge blessing for my son. I mean, you know, having Happy Birthday sung to you by Julia Roberts. She bought him, you know, a cool birthday gift. A G, he was into G.I. Joe's then. He's nine-year-old, you know, and she, she bought him, you know, a bunch of G.I. Joe's. And he would hang out with, with her and her niece in her trailer all the time. And, you know, he and Emma developed a relationship and all. And, you know, that relationship, you know, would, would just would grow. And, and a lot of benefits coming to my son. And so Julia had this plan. She was working on her plan. She wanted the Academy Award. Well, it had the desired effect. Um, the, the, the script was good. The director was amazing. And the, the chemistry was there. And so she did the role. And she was nominated for the Academy Award. And there at the Oscar ceremony, she won. And so she goes up. She's now got her Academy Award. And in her acceptance speech, she, among others, thanks my son by name. Well, the very next day, my son happened to have an audition, and as he walked in, it was called a producer's audition. They have different levels of producers. It's the last thing you do before, you know, this is where you get it or you don't. So he goes into this producer's call, and uh, all the suits around the table there, you know, and my, you know, nine-year-old comes in, sits down. First thing they say to him is, so uh, how'd it feel to have Julia Roberts thank you at the Academy Awards? He's like, feel pretty good, you know, he got the part. And, and so here's the thing is that, you know, it doesn't hurt when Julia Roberts thanks you winning the Academy Award in the next day, you know, kind of grease the skids there for him, get, the, get that part as well. The, the whole point of this story and the whole big idea here is that because Scotty participated in Julia's plan, it resulted in blessings for him. And the big idea of our message today is that God has a plan for us. This is what we see here in Ephesians chapter 1. That God wants to bless us, and he has a plan for us, and if we'll participate in his plan, the result will be blessing to us. Now, Paul begins this section of scripture reminding the Ephesians of their many blessings in Christ, and this is what we've been going over for several weeks. We've been looking at all the blessings that we have in, in Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at the blessings of grace, we looked at the blessings of wisdom, of prudence. And we saw that Christianity is different than every other religion and belief system in that God isn't asking you to give to him, that he's, he's asking rather that you uh, receive him, and then he then gives himself to you as a gift. And, and the Bible calls this grace. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, it tells us that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, twice in that verse, Paul uses the word abound, and then he uses the word abundance. And they're both derivatives of the same Greek word, and that Greek word means to exceed or to overflow in abundance. And the idea there, well, that same word is used in Matthew's gospel, where, you know, it talks about Jesus and the abundance of fish and bread that he multiplied for the people. And so the idea there is that, man, God has this abundance. He's able to make his grace just abound towards you in abundance, to overflow towards you. And that's critically important because so oftentimes what happens is that we misunderstand God's grace. 
And we see it as being this thing that is limited in supply, that is limited in capacity. We see it as being something where, man, God's just going to put up with you for so long. He's, he's sort of like that celestial father with a bad temper, and we better walk on eggshells around him. As a matter of fact, this is what I call eggshell faith. You know, a lot of people have eggshell faith. It's like, I don't want to tick God off. You know, he's really not that happy with me. He sort of just puts up with us. And, uh, man, I'm just one wrong move away from a lightning bolt, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, walking around in that sort of place is very unhealthy. You never quite know where you stand uh, with the Lord when you have that sort of faith and that sort of idea about God, that misconception about God. You know, it reminds me, you know, of... A conversation I once had with a child of an alcoholic, and they had grown up in an alcoholic home. Maybe, maybe that's your experience. And so, you know, this, this person telling me their story, just basically saying, you never quite knew where you stood with my dad. It was always, you didn't know which dad was going to come home from work. You didn't know which dad was going to react. It'd be one moment, he's laughing and in a good mood. The next moment, you know, you got a shoe coming at the side of your head kind of thing. And so just this idea of, man, always walked on eggshells, never knew where my dad was at. Well, again, a lot of people live their relationship like that with the Lord, but Christianity is different. Christianity, does, God doesn't ask you to give to him, he gives to you. And, and not only in Christ does he give us grace, but he gives us wisdom and he gives us prudence. He gives us wisdom, the capacity to understand ultimate truths of life and death and heaven and hell. And he gives to us prudence, which is the ability to put feet on our faith and, and live out and respond to the daily trials that we face in life and to face our daily circumstances in a way that honors God. And this is what God gives to us. And God gives us this wisdom and prudence because, and here's the big idea of the message and our first and only point of the day, and you can write it down, God desires to include us in his plans. God desires to include us in his plans. And so we read again, verse 7, in him we have redemption, picking it up in context, through his blood for the forgiveness... Uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Here it is, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in uh, himself. Now, as we read through that, you see that phrase, having made known to us. Having made known to us. You might want to circle that. Um, it literally means this. It means to gain or have knowledge through, uh, or, or to gain or to have through the knowledge of. To gain or, 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 I'm sorry, to gain or to have a thorough knowledge of. To gain or to have a thorough knowledge of. Now, and I would describe it this way because it's important. I mean, we read it, we go, I get it. I, I really want you to get it. So I, I'll describe it by using its opposite. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been excluded? You know, you, you weren't invited to something, and, and you, it really stung. Or, you know, you were in a social situation, and there's people right there in front of you discussing their plans for later on. And those plans don't include you. And you're painfully excluded. Or, or maybe you've been in the same similar social situation where, you know, everybody's there, and there's, there's the, they're talk, they've got an inside joke. And everybody seems to be in on the joke except for you. Now, how does that make you feel when that happens? Because we've all been there, right? It stinks to be in that place. And so when you're in that place, man, it hurts. 
You feel excluded. You feel ostracized. You feel angry and bitter. You feel hurt, you know? And, and so this is, this is the opposite of what, of what Paul's talking about here. We just had a meeting uh, at my house the, 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 a couple nights ago for our growth group host, you know, uh, and Kyle up here talking to us about growth groups and, and the experience there and, and all that he and, and Sarah had coming to, to the initial growth group that we planted this church with. And, and in that meeting, what I'm reiterating and I'm encouraging all these host couples, because basically our general plan is we're going to get, you know, a, a guy to teach the Bible study. So we get he and his wife, and then we get a couple to host the study. So it's a built-in study. There's the four of them there. And then we launch a study in that, in that way. So I got all the people that host studies to the house, and I'm talking to them about this dynamic of inclusion. And what happens is what we're looking for, we want people to be connected. See, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is the most important commandment in the law. And then he gave a freebie. He says, the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to say basically that every book of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, they all hinge on those two commandments, loving God and loving others. And so what happens is, is that if this is the entirety of the Bible, well, then it's very important that we connect relationally with God and relationally with his people. And and so what I tell these growth growth group hosts is you have to work on getting people connected relationally to one another. And, And so what happens there, and if you do it right, everybody gets connected really tight and so then we talked about the, the, the dangers that that can pose because what ha- can happen is <clears throat> you can get a group of people connected really well and then now, you know, we'll use the new year as an example. We've got some growth, growth groups that are resuming in the new year. Those groups are together. They're tight. They've taken, you know, a couple of months off uh, in, in their schedule, um, but now they're resuming. And so we open up the growth groups to everyone. We encourage you, hey, get plugged into a growth group, and maybe you come into an existing growth group. What we don't want your experience to be is that you come into the growth group, and it's like, yeah, they're all friends, and I'm, you know, here on the outside. How do I break into this? So we're talking to people just saying, no, 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 make sure that whenever anybody's coming, see, that they get connected. See, because here's what happened. This is my personal experience. I mean, Kyle shared his testimony. I'll just tell you mine. For Brenda and I, a growth group changed our lives. Absolutely changed. I'm saved going to heaven because I was plugged into a small group of people. And, and I was discipled and I was led to the Lord and I grew in the Lord. The, the entire reason I'm a pastor today The entire reason why we've had so many, literally over a dozen churches planted is because of my involvement in a growth group. I I can't, can't, you know, overstate and you can't underestimate how critically important this is. And the whole dynamic here is this inclusion, this this connectivity. And and so the amazing thing about what Paul says here in verse 9 is that God includes us. He includes us. He brings us in. He doesn't just include us as guests, but he includes us, listen, as friends. I was going to have you turn there. Uh, I don't think we'll have time to have you turn there, but I'll just tell you, it's at John 15, 15, and 16. So if you've got time, you want to turn there. I'll put the scriptures up on the screen. But basically, Jesus was, was, was meeting with his disciples at the Last Supper. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends 
for all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now, here's what Jesus isn't saying there. What he's not saying there is, hey, look, because you've, you've hung out with me and you've paid your, your penance of serving, you've kind of paid your dues, now you've reached some super friend status where you don't have to serve anymore. No, the whole underlying thing that he's talking about is the importance of serving. And because you're a servant, I'm going to elevate you to a higher level of service. It's not like you get beyond serving. It's not like you, you know, you, you see in Hollywood these guys that have all of these, these entourages that they get. And they're all just a bunch of parasites that just sort of cling on to them and suck them dry. You know, I was, I was reading about MC Hammer He had an entourage of like 40 people that he'd take everywhere he went. And at one time, he was worth, you know, over $40 million. And and today, the man's broke. You know, these people just sucked him dry. They're just, you know, all the friends that just sit around and do nothing, you know. Mike Tyson probably is the the king of having this happen to him. Some huge entourage. He blew through like $400 million, you know, and having people suck him dry. But, you know, that what Jesus is talking here, man, the difference between servant and friend, it's not, you know, that it's not one of those kind of friends that just sort of, oh, you've reached the, you don't have to serve anymore, and now you can just, you know, suck God dry kind of thing. But rather, it's, it's having understanding um, and, and being brought into the mix. You know, it's the difference between understanding and not understanding. And what Jesus is saying here, the point that he's making is that, you know, as a friend, you have a close relationship, and so you're going to understand what mere servants do not. In other words, God is going to make you a part of his plan. That's the idea here, that he makes you a part of his plan, that he brings you in. It's not an inside joke. It's not a you sitting around going, well, I don't know really what's happening here. No, God is saying, listen, we are so connected. I've got a plan, and and my plan, I want it to involve you. It's not unlike, you know, years ago, I'm painting the fence. My daughter, Megan, wants desperately to help me paint the fence. Now, now she's, she's married. She's a mother of three. But at the time, she was three. And so she, she wanted to help me paint the fence. Now, how many of y'all know that with your kids, when they want to help you paint, that it really is not help, is it? It's more of an act of, of graciousness on your part than it is that they're helping you accomplish something, isn't it? I mean, it's not like, you know, you have a kid and, and they say, hey, I want to paint. And you go, wow, this is marvelous. Honey, if we have four or five kids, we could paint the whole house, right? I mean, you don't have that attitude because why? Well, it, you're blessing them. And, and so, yeah, honey, you can paint and it's, you know, five minutes of painting and then they're over it and covered with paint. And then you say, here, honey, uh, you, you know, your, your daughter needs you. And then you spend, you know, a few minutes fixing uh, what, what they just helped you with. And that, that's the amazing thing about God. He's got a plan, and he knows it's going to bless us if, if we are included in that plan. He wants to include us in his plan. It's an amazing thing. Now, what happens here is that uh, he, God involves us in this way, and, and Jesus says, listen, you didn't choose me, John 15, 16, But I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in the the Father's name, he may give to you. And so this is the amazing thing. It's the very next verse. In the first verse, he's saying, hey, no longer do I call you servants. Now I call you friends because, you know... uh, For all things I heard from my father, I've made known to you. You're a friend. You're in on the plan. 
And then the next thing is, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you. Now that word appointed, it's really important. Literally, it means set or placed. And it's the exact same word that Paul uses here in verse 9 in Ephesians chapter 1. It's the exact same word. It means the, the purposed plan of God. And what he's saying is, look, I chose you and I made you a part of my purposed plan. Again, the implication, God has set you, he's placed you in the center of his plan, in the center of his will. And you say, well, you know what, Jesus is talking to his disciples there. He's not talking to me, he's talking to professional ministers there. No, you know, if you'll look in just... We're in Ephesians. Just look at verse 10 of chapter 2, where Paul is going here. What's he say there? He says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared beforehand. Again, it's this whole big idea. God has a plan. It's a prepared plan. And he brings you into the plan. And he basically says, Are you going to be a part of that plan? Are you going to be a part of that plan? And again, that's my question for you. What has God got planned for you? What's he have planned for you? As you consider, I want you to notice in verses 8 and 9 that we exercise wisdom. We went over that last week, the capacity to understand the big truths of life, heaven and hell and life and death and so on. God's given to us not only wisdom, he gives to us prudence, the ability to put feet on our faith in our day-to-day trials and circumstances. So puts it together, right? And, and we're equipped to join God in his will. This is what he's building it all towards, wisdom and prudence, and we're equipped to join God's, God in his will. How, he says, through God's revelation to us concerning the mystery of his will. You see that there? He says, having made known to us the, the mystery of his will. Now, mystery in the scriptures, this is important. When the scriptures talk about a mystery, it's not like a, you know, Agatha Christie whodunit kind of thing or, or whatever, Sherlock Holmes kind of thing. Mystery in the scriptures means that God is revealing something that has been hidden, and it always involves two elements. It, 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 the first element is that it's something that can't be discovered by human means. And the second element is that it's something that God reveals at the proper time. It's something that can't be discerned by human means, and it's something that God reveals in his proper timing. And so Paul says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, verse, verse 10, he might gather in one place all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. See, listen, God's ultimate plan is to bring together, to ultimately resolve all things in Christ, either through Jesus as Savior or Jesus as Judge. That's God's ultimate plan. He wants to resolve everything and bring it all together, Jesus as Savior or Jesus as Judge. And this is going to happen, Paul says, in the fullness of the times. Now, he says there in verse 10 that in the dispensation, that word dispensation, it basically, it, it, again, it underlines, underscores, exclamation points, a plan or a strategy. That's the reflection. That's what that word dispensation is pointing us to. God has a plan. He has a strategy. I like the way the New Living, Tra- Living Translation paraphrases verse 10. It says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. Now, when he says he's going to bring everything together, that that phrase, bring everything together, it's a mathematical term 
in the Greek. Here's what it means. It's a mathematical term for the process of adding up a column of figures and putting the right sum at the top. In other words, the idea behind this is that God is going to make everything add up. That's, that's God's plan. He wants to resolve everything he's going to make at the end of time. He's going to make everything add up. And right now, here today, he's in the process of coming to that final sum. And this shows that God wants to unify, listen, all things. This is super, super important. He wants to, uh, to unify everything in your life under him. Now, this starts and ends with you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, every part of your life to Jesus Christ. See, what happens is this isn't, this isn't a spare tire of faith. You, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but so many of us, we, we have a faith where Jesus is my spare tire, and, he's, and I got him there in the trunk, and I, I, I'm going to go through my life, and then if, if something happens to where, you know, I, I got a problem... Well, then, you know, gosh, you got to blow out, you know, spiritually speaking. Got to pull over. Got to pull Jesus out of the trunk, you know, and I'm just going to, Jesus, you're just going to get me until I can get back on, on my own feet here. And then, you know, I'm going to put Jesus back in the trunk. And there's so many people that live their life that way. And so what happens is your life is divided from the secular and the sacred. And this is the secular part of my life. And this is the sacred part of my life. This is the, hey, I'm in control and I'm large and in charge part of my life. And this is that part of my life that, you know, I'll, I'll rely upon God for. And you know what? This is this part of my life here where, where I'm going to, um, you know, this is when I go to church. And this is when I take my kid to Bible study. And then check, and that's done. And now I've got this part of my life over here. And no, it doesn't belong over there, but that's the church part of my life. That's the segmented over there. This is the, this is the, the fleshly part of my life. And, and the, what, what's happening here, this is key. You gotta get it. What Paul is saying here is that, that that's not what God wants. God wants you a part of his plan. He wants you 100% a part of his plan. He doesn't want your life to be divided from the secular and the sacred. He wants your entire life to be lived as an act of worship to God, as an act of worship to him. Let me ask you the question, are you living your life as an act of worship to God? Where everything you do, and I'm not talking about, man, you, you have to be in Bible study six nights a week, and you got to be in church, you know, both services, and you, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about everything that you do done as unto the Lord, saying, Lord, this is my act of worship to you. Lord, I'm, I'm going to instruct my children as an act of worship to you. Lord, I'm, I'm going to wash my wife with the water of the word as an act of worship to you. I'm going to pray together with my family as an act of worship to you. Listen, hey, God's word tells you, it, and it, it's, it, it's very practical. You know, there, there, he has a lot to say about forgiveness. Sometimes, and, and, and this will ring home, I mean, we just celebrated Christmas, you know, and Christmas brings visiting family, and sometimes some of our family, it's like, Swell, I got to spend time with them, kind of thing. I know, you know, I, I don't have that, but I know some of you do. Um, to where, you know, it's like, hey, what's going to happen here? And and so you get together with family, and it's a great exercise of self control for some people when they get together with their families, isn't it? Right. And so, and and so, what happens there is that's what I'm talking about. Living your life as an act of worship. It's just day by day. It's a matter of saying, you know what? The Lord says, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
The Lord says that I'm to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven me. And so when we live our lives obediently to the Lord in that way, what happens is we're living our life as an act of worship. See, my life no longer is separated, the secular and the sacred. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not a matter of saying, you know, so often you, you, you're driving like, like just, you're driving like a bat out of hell. You know, you're just driving crazy. I had, there was a gal on our worship team years ago. She came running in. She's like, I, I was so late. I was driving like a, you know what, a, you, a, you know what out of hell. You know, she got it backwards. So, <laughs> Uh, so at any rate, you're driving crazy, and then you get to the gates here at the church, and then it's a matter, oh, no, you go first. Oh, no, you go, all of a sudden, what is that? That's secular and sacred right there, right? My wife's going to use this on me later on. <laughs> so the thing is, is that we can't live our lives like that. We have to be able to go, uh, everything that I do has to be an act of worship to the Lord. Man, that's convicting right there, isn't it? That's convicting. That's worth the price of admission all by itself. We take a walk with that because we have a tendency to segment our lives. And what what Paul is saying here is don't do that. God has a plan. He wants to bring you in on his plan. And basically every part of your life needs to be lived as an act of worship to the Lord. Starts and end with surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, put it on the screen for you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now who's Jesus talking to here? I'll tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to people who live a divided life. He's talking to people who, this is the secular and this is the sacred, and their life is really divided. And really, what's happened in that process is they really don't have a relationship with God at all. And I want to ask you, are you living a divided life? Something to take a walk with. Well, listen, Paul continues here, and, there's, and what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to read through the rest of the chapter, because there's, there's a lot to say here, and, uh, and if I just read it verse by verse, and I try to tackle it verse by verse, let me give it, we'll read it in the whole context of it, and then I'm going to sort of paraphrase it, and then we'll pick it apart, okay? So verse 11, Paul continues, he says, in him, Jesus, we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, when he talks about there that we, being predestined, he's not talking about we dealt with predestination previous where it's in reference to our salvation and there's that predestination and all and I encourage you to listen to the message. This isn't talking in, in the context of your salvation. When he, ta- when he uses the word predestination here, predestined here, he's talking about the works that he's predestined for us. Again, Again, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's predestined. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's got it all set up. He's got the table set. He's got a work he wants us to do. He's got a plan that he's got in place. And there it is for us. It's predestined for us. The question is, are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? It all comes down to you. Am I going to obey? Am I going to cooperate with the plan? Hey, you know, she's got a plan to win an Oscar. Am I going to cooperate with her plan or not? And so this is the idea. And so he says, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, verse 15, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know that which is the hope of his calling, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And and, and what is the excellentness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, listen, here's what Paul is saying here. Let me just paraphrase all that. What Paul is saying here, he says, you were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you have become a child of God. And as such, he says, you have a future inheritance. But if it were just about, you know, the fact that, hey, you're saved, and now you have a future inheritance, well, then that would be it, and God would take you right on out. And there's so many people who live their life that way. They have the theology that says, I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. And that's a great theology. Uh, You know, it's a limited theology. It's a good place to start, but you can't live your whole life that way. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Why? What's the problem with that? Well, because, you know, think of it on a time continuum. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. What do you have in between? Just your entire life, that's all. Just your whole life here on the earth. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Let's say you get saved at 20 and you're going to die when you're 80. That's 60 years of, okay, now what? Saved, going to heaven. See, what what it is, is it's not just about that. It's not just about, look, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. What God is saying here is, look, I've got a plan, and it involves you, and if it was just about you being saved and going to heaven, well, then when you received me as Lord and Savior, I'd take you out. Man, everybody out of the pool, let's go. That's not the way it is. God has a plan, it's a predetermined plan, and it involves us, and it absolutely depends, and this is what Paul is saying here, absolutely depends on our cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I got a tough choice to make. It's 35 minutes into the message, and I can either stop there, and you guys can absolutely fall off your chairs and say, that's the shortest message you've ever preached, or I can chew off a really big chunk. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right there, because I've got... I got a couple more pages of notes here, and that'll take too long, and I really want to have your attention. And so here's what I want you to understand, man. And we'll spend the whole, next week we'll start talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, some cool stuff. I really want to give that justice. It all comes down to us here. This is is the takeaway. God desires to include you in his plan. 
What a providential time for us to hit this section of Scripture right now here on the first day of the year of 2014. Because no doubt, I know, and many of you, like me, I think it's healthy to a certain degree that we come to a new year and we reflect on the old year and we think, you know what, this year, you know, I need to do a few things differently. And so you start thinking about this year, I'm, I'm going to get on track. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. Most of the people in this room, you're dieting, you know, you're trying to exercise, you know, whatever it is. You know, it's the big running joke. You know, you see on Facebook, everybody going to the gym. Somebody's got a picture of the gym. It's packed. It says January 1st, you know, and then there's a picture of a gym that's empty. It says February 1st, you know, kind of thing. And so we all go through this. And, and, and here's what I want to encourage you with. This is, this, this is just that point of application that I want to ask you. Take this home with you. Take a walk with us, okay? As we're here in the new year and as we're faced and reminded with the fact that part of God's blessings is that he's got a plan that involves you and that he wants to use you, as you reflect on your life, I want to ask you the big question, are you living a life of worship to God or not? You can just jot that down and reflect on that. Is my life an act of worship to God. And then what I would ask you to do even beyond that, I'd ask you to really take a walk with and let the Holy Spirit minister to you and point out the areas where your life is not an act of worship to the Lord. Where the things that you're doing are not in faith. They're not in obedience. They're not worshiping Him. And, and overall, what I would have you do is I would have you, and you can write these two words down, write down lordship and write down stewardship. Lordship and stewardship. See, because all of our lives are, are different. We're doing different things and we have different priorities, but really everything in our life should fit under those two categories, lordship and stewardship. See, lordship, here's the big idea, either God is the Lord of all, or he's not the Lord at all. He's either the Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And so I would have you consider, first of all, is my life a reflection that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Let the Lord just minister to you on that. Secondly, stewardship. If he's the Lord of all, then that means he owns it all. Owns it all. He owns your time, he owns your talents, he owns your treasures, he owns it all. And again, just consider, consider that. Consider stewardship, if he owns it all, and consider your time, he owns my time. Consider your talents, he owns the things he's gifted me to do. He owns your treasures, every dime that you've got, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. Time, talent, treasures, it's all a good and perfect gift. Lord, am I worshiping you? And am I being a good steward of these things? And so I would have you pray about that. Just really, just take a walk with the Lord and say, man, is my life a reflection of lordship and stewardship? And let the Holy Spirit do his work. Listen, be accountable to him. Be accountable to him in your marriage. Be accountable to him with your kids. Be accountable to him with your checkbook. Hello? Be accountable to him with, with your church and, your, and the, the, the things that God's gifted you to do and whether you're, you're, you're obeying him. Listen, take this challenge. Take this walk with God this week. Please do. You say, I'm not into New Year's resolutions. I don't care about that. 
I care about you being on, on mission with God. I care about you having the invitation to be a part of his plan. I care about you really prayerfully answering the question, is he Lord? And am I stewarding what he's entrusted to me well? I want to talk to you just briefly, and um, this is, uh, you're going to say, wow, this is coming across as commercial. No, this isn't commercial. This is application. And I want to let you know that we here at the church, we've been praying about, Lord, what would you have us to do in 2014? And I want to share with you just what God's doing here at the church and, and what our plan is here. And, and really, if I, if I can sum it up, God, God's exhortation to us, his mandate to us is to make disciples. And so our, our big push here, it's to continue to make disciples. And so what we're doing, we're doubling down on your growth. We're doubling down on helping you to grow. And so uh, on Sundays, we're going we're gonna to focus on Ephesians here for the, for the next probably couple of months. After that, I'm going to be moving into the book of Malachi. And in the spring, we're going to be starting a series in 1 Samuel. And so that's, that's the, the, what's going to happen here on Sundays as far as teaching goes. Midweek, we started to tell you we've got 16 growth groups going. We're adding more every single, every single month. Um, we have several growth groups for our junior highs and our high school students. Um, we're starting a new marriage study. We, we're starting a new financial uh, management study. Um, we are resuming a parenting study. We're resuming our mothers of preschool ministry. Our wen- men's and women's ministries are resuming this week. Um, you, and you, you go, you know, commercial. No, listen, are you in a study? Are you connected and growing in the Lord? Lordship, stewardship. I want to let you know that we are prayerfully saying, Lord, how can we best disciple our people? But we can't disciple you if you're unwilling. And so these are things we're doing. Our school of ministry is resuming. Our Awana ministry is resuming. Our junior high and high schoolers are getting ready to go on a retreat this month. We have a Foundations of the Faith class that's going to be starting up in March. We're, we're ministering on the mission field, both locally and abroad. Uh, abroad, we, we have a team departing to the Philippines uh, in three weeks to continue the work that, that, we're star- that was started there when we, were, when we were there just last month, two months ago. Um, we, we're going to be doing a pastor's conference in the Philippines in June, uh, and we're going to be doing a youth conference in the Philippines in June. Um, we're planning to help plant a church and praying about helping plant a church in Belgium this year, uh, and so we're praying about that. Uh, one of our interns is there right now doing a home Bible study, and so we hope to go there and to encourage them in that work. In July, uh, we're planning to take our youth again to Panama. That's our international missions outreach. Locally, we're opening up a community food bank uh, in the second quarter. Um, we're uh, going to have, again, our, our vacation Bible school this year, um, and uh, probably a bunch that I've missed, and all of those represent for you opportunities for discipleship, and they also represent opportunities for the stewardship of your gifts. And so as you walk with the Lord, and if you, as you say, hey, Lord, how is you, have you gifted me, and what's your plan for the church? Listen, the church isn't one member. Remember that video? It's all of us together. We, like living stones, are being built into a holy tabernacle. And you were the bricks and mortar that the Lord, for better or for worse, that's the plan, guys. And he wants to use us to, to, to build up this work. And, and if you are, are, are just coming to church on Sunday, and you're not discovering and using your spiritual gifts, you're disobedient to God. And so I want you to pray about that. Listen, with that in mind, this year, man, we, we need a church building. And we've been looking for buildings, and we've been knocking on the doors, and we've been praying. And we have two big problems, um, at least a couple of big problems with that. Number one is our bank account. 
Uh, and number two is that there's just not a lot of available buildings. So we're going to do a couple things this year uh, in that regard. Number one, we're going to start looking at land. I, d- I, w- I didn't want to look at land, but you know, I wanted to find a building we could do TIs on. We're going to start looking at land this year and just knocking on that door and say, Lord, do you want us to purchase some land? And secondly, we're going to start a building fund. And, and, and I, I just want to say this. This is, this is where we all come in because we have to be obedient to God. And the, and the simple fact is, and I want to say this, that, and this whole message hasn't been building towards this, but it's important that you hear this. Um, less than 20% of our church gives regularly and faithfully. And, and if, you, if you didn't know, that's disobedience to God. Less than 20%. About 17% of our church gives faithfully, gives regularly. And, and so what I want to challenge you in in this year is that would you just be obedient to God in your financial giving? Um, and, and, I, and I take, to a certain degree, responsibility for that because I, at, the, at the risk of being offensive to people, I have really not said a lot about money and I've really tried not to say anything about money. We just put the giving boxes in the back and we just encourage you to give. We pray, Lord, we want to give to you, but I haven't made it more of an issue of worship. And the fact is is that our giving is an act of worship. And so we're going to change that. We're going to make our giving part of of our worship service. We are going to pass the basket like almost every other church does. We're going to do it. I've steered away from that because I didn't want to offend people. I didn't want people thinking it's about the money. And what I need to do is ask your forgiveness because what I have done at the risk of offending people is... I've offended the Lord, and I haven't, I haven't, this is part of worship, our giving to him, and so we need to give to him. So we're going to be changing our services, and we're going to be passing the basket, and as we pass the basket, I want you to know that this is an act of worship to God. Secondly, I want it to be a reminder to you that we need to be obedient to the Lord in our giving. You say, man, I'm upset with that, and now you've made it about money, and I'm going to leave. Okay, I'd say two things. One, if you leave, you just take, it's just geography. You're just taking your disobedience to another church. And secondly, what I would say is chances are any other church you go to is going to be passing the basket. <laughs> so, so, so it's going to happen. It's happening because this is an act of worship, and we're going to honor the Lord with every part of our life. We're not going to have anything separate. And it's happening because, quite frankly, we need to be more obedient to the Lord. And if all of us would simply give as the Lord has commanded, we would have all that we need, every sufficiency.